Hi there, and welcome to Make the Shift. I'm your host, the CEO of Makeshift, Adam Greenberg. Well, here we are in a new year, and the days seem to be just flying by. As I look forward to the days, weeks, and months ahead, and frankly, to better days ahead for everyone, I also find myself reflecting on what we have collectively lived through for the past two years. Now, to say that everyone has experienced an incredible amount of change in our personal and professional lives would be a huge understatement. And as I reflect on the year past and really visualize how I want to see the year ahead, three big questions for me come to mind. Is this pace of change sustainable? What have we learned? And how can I be better at work, at home, and in my community? And with these questions on my mind, I've invited someone who I think can help me find the answers and someone who can help give us all some perspective and some inspiration in order to be the very best that we can be. Robin Kovitz is the CEO of Baskets, purveyor of fine gifts and the largest gift basket provider in Canada. Furthermore, Baskets was awarded one of the fastest growing companies in 2020 and 2021 in Canada. But truly, no matter where you are in North America, if there was ever a time to send a gift to someone in your life to show that you care, whether that's a family member, a friend, or a colleague, now is definitely the time. That said, Robin is here with us today to give us a gift of another kind. Robin is an incredibly successful and inspiring business leader. She was a finalist in the RBC Women of Influence Awards, and someone who is incredibly passionate about helping women thrive in the workplace. She was also a finalist in the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award, and in 2017, and again in 2021, was a winner of the Top 100 Award for Canada's Most Influential Women. Her business and leadership are also featured by both Yale and Harvard Business School, so we have so much to learn from Robin, and I'm excited to dive right in. Are you ready to get inspired? Let's go. Welcome to Make the Shift, Robin. Thanks so much, Adam. You have a great podcast voice. Thank you. You know, I wanted to get into radio, but I don't know. It just never happened. I think you <laughs> so, could do it. <laughs> so thank you. You know, everybody says you've got a face for radio. So <laughs> I'm not sure how to take that, but, but I appreciate it. I'll take what I can get. <laughs> um, so yeah, so thanks again. Hey, before we jump in and, and kind of talk shop, can you, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? I, I understand that you live in Toronto with your husband and two kids. Yes. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Calgary in case there's any Western Canadian oh. people on the, on the line listening, um, born and raised in Calgary, went to Queens, uh, settled in Toronto, went to Harvard, did an MBA there, uh, have two kids, 11 and eight. So I'm you know, terrified to be heading into that tween stage, uh, but we'll hopefully survive. And yeah, I, my day job is I own and operate Baskets Inc., Canada's leading purveyor of fine gifts. Um, our gift baskets and boxes, like you said, thanks so much, are really perfect for any occasion. Wow. So I like how you just sort of breezed through. I did a degree at Harvard. Just <laughs> like, you know, that's not a big deal. Uh, that's incredible. A degree at Harvard. Wow. And, and baskets, like, Tell me the story of Baskets. How did this all begin? Sure, thanks. So 
I grew up in Calgary, Alberta with a, with a family business. We were in the meat manufacturing and distribution space. Uh, the business was acquired by my grandfather and run by my father. And so I grew up, you know, as a kid, uh, they really, it's cliche, but talking about business around the table and evenings and weekends and summers working or, or you know, tagging along in the family business and, and just really grew to love um, sort of the elements of business, the basic elements, you know, creating something, building something, building a team, um, selling something. And at the time when I was 12, I asked my grandfather sort of what the best school in the world was. And he said, Harvard. And that just really stuck with me. And I wanted to, I wanted to go to the best school in the world, you know, and that was his perception of what it was. Um, and so that became a goal, um, at a very young age for me. And, and I just, uh, you know, throughout my life as an entrepreneur, there's so many, so many times when we reach for things that we don't achieve. And so I'm, I try to be very vocal about all those awards I have not won. You know, there's for every award I've won, there's five that I didn't win. Um, you know, and so actually my dream was to go to Harvard undergrad and I was not accepted. I was on the wait list. Um, and so, yeah, it was truly a dream to go, go for business school. But I guess my message for anyone listening is, um, you know, I've, I've been very lucky and had a few successes that we, we've talked, you've talked about, Adam, thank you. But there have been, you know, at least five to 10 X failures <laughs> for every one of those things that I actually did get. Well, if you're not failing, you're not trying. And this is something that I, I, I believe in strongly. And I was luck, you know, fortunate and, and privileged to be raised uh, by great parents who, who gave me space to fail. And and we're there to support me. And I, I try to tell my, you know, my team and, and the staff who work for me as well at Makeshift, you know, go out and fail. It's okay. Uh, learn from it and, and do the best you can. Um, so, no, I appreciate, I appreciate your sentiments. Um, Harvard is, is, is amazing. I mean, what was, what was the demographic like when you were at Harvard? Because things have changed a lot over the years, I guess, eh? Yeah, it's interesting. Harvard changed my life. Um, and so I actually, my side hustle is I actually work for the admissions team um, and my passion. So I, I have a bit of a consulting business. Baskets is my day job. Um, but so I, I've worked for them for the last 15 years. And so I've, I've been able to see to see what you describe firsthand. And I think, you know, especially uh, with a Western Canadian audience, I really want to share the message that getting to Harvard or the Harvard Business School is perfectly attainable. We want um, you know, unique and different and special people from all walks of life. Um, I certainly had the bias when I was applying. I hadn't, didn't know anyone who'd gone there that I thought it was all just rich white guys. Uh, and let me tell you, it's, it couldn't be further from that. It's, it's an incredibly liberal organization. In fact, we just launched um, a new fellowship we're very proud of where we offer additional financial need-based financial aid for people who support their parents. Um, you know, I had friends from all walks of life, from all races, religions, you know, much more diverse than Calgary was certainly. Uh, and it just really expanded my horizons and made me such a better, more educated person. I'm so grateful for my time there. So it's not just a place for white, rich guys, guys apply to Harvard ladies. Yeah. Nice. Wow. I, you know, I've, I've now learned something about you uh, that I didn't know. So that's, that's cool. And, and it's amazing, you know, people like, like you, and I mean that in a, in a nice way, like people are driven and ambitious and intelligent and, and engaged, you know, you're running a, a, the fastest growing company in, in Canada and you have a family and you've got a side, you know, you're doing a little side business also. Yeah, I have three consulting clients. <laughs> I think, I think really Adam, I just need to learn how to say no. Maybe. Yeah. I kind of know the feeling I, I, I can relate. Um, so yeah, 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 you you graduated at Harvard and then you you started baskets. I know that's a bit of a plant. I know that's not 
actually true. So it's maybe an unfair, but I just wanted to learn more about how how you came to be running baskets and how it became the kind of fastest growing in company in Canada. Clever, tricky. I like that. Um, <laughs> so I actually worked in investment banking and it was a great place to start your career. Um, I worked the three summers um, that I was in my undergrad uh, in investment banking and I worked in M&A after graduation. Um, and so I really got to experience mostly sell side uh, during a very busy time in the markets. Um, and through that, uh, before my MBA and then during my MBA, I was exposed to um, a lot of guys from some, mostly guys from the top private equity firms in the world, TPG, KKR. Uh, and I was just so inspired by how private equity, you know, is such a hybrid of investment banking. So financial sophistication and business operations, sort of as my family business roots. Um, and so uh, out of Harvard, I decided that I really wanted to be a private equity guy. And so, you know, there's very few seats in Canada for that. So I was lucky enough to come back to Canada and get one of those seats. Um, learned a lot about the buy side, so actually buying businesses. And then I turned the ripe old age of 30. <laughs> you know, I was married and 30. And, and for a lot of women, that's a real uh, turning point because it was time to start thinking about starting a family. And, and my recipe for success has always been to outwork someone, Adam. I've, I've never been the smartest person in the room, but I'll work all night if I have to and figure a way to get it done. And so that was a particularly challenging time for me because at 30, I wasn't sure how I could reconcile being a mother and also maintaining my career. And I just wasn't sure how those two things could work. And I did, frankly, in corporate Canada, didn't see many examples of women I wanted to be who, who had it all. I hate that expression. But um, so long story short, I decided to start a search fund, which is now a booming field 12 12 years later, uh, this whole field of entrepreneurship through acquisition. Um, and I started a, a fund to go with the purpose of going to find a business to buy. So a lot of, you know, we know a lot about, about venture and that path of, you know, I have a great idea, let's start a business from zero. But I felt with my background and experience that it would be a lot easier for me to buy a small business and then add in some sophistication or growth or acquire some competitors and sort of help it get to the next level as opposed to starting from zero. You know, like 90% of new businesses fail. Um, and so by buying a business, so I, I started a fund, it was called Jetstar Capital. Uh, and for four long years, I had two kids during that time, I searched to find a business to buy, um, you know, went through a lot of my savings. It was a very scary and fun, crazy time. Um, and then finally zeroed in on baskets as, as the business that I thought I could buy, the small business that I could take to the next level. And so for, after wow. searching for four years, I, I was able to acquire baskets. That's amazing. What a great story. And, and it's been successful, obviously. Um, when, when you, when you bought baskets, I'm just trying to visualize this. And I know that there's a, a you know, a Harvard business school study uh, on this, which I encourage if you're listening to, to read through it, uh, we'll certainly post links on, on how to obtain it or reach out to me uh, and be happy to share it with you. But, and, and so I know there's a, there's a case study, but I'm, I'm visualizing you kind of walk in and it's definitely not just walk in and start running the company and it turns into this high growth uh, business. There must have been a lot of change. And, and the reason I'm honing in on that and want to talk a little bit about change is, you know, part of my opening remarks, like we're going through so much change right now. How do you manage it? Is it sustainable? What do you learn through it? Yeah, wow. What a great question. I think, um, you know, and I was also a young young female first time CEO. And so I think a lot of, like in any business or career, I think, you know, the Peter principle, a lot of us get promoted because we're very good at doing something right. Um, you know, I loved writing a deck or building a financial model. And that's, 
that was sort of how I did well. But when you become a CEO, uh, it was sort of a very difficult change for me in realizing that my job was no longer to do. It was to inspire and recruit and coach and develop. And, you know, the so I spent initially when I bought the company, I was trying to do everything and I really burnt myself out. And I thought, you know, if I could just work harder, I could get it done. And, and that was it was really difficult change for me to learn that I had to become a great leader and inspire, attract, recruit, retain, and develop people to do all the things and, and really do, that is my job as a CEO. Uh, and that was a very difficult transition for me. I wasn't aware. It was a small precarious business at the time when I bought it. So it was a very difficult sort of first few years transitioning. Um, it wasn't a success story day one, let me tell you. <laughs> it was a long, difficult journey. I'm, I'm sure. and. You know, when you're saying that, I, I'm personalizing this a little bit. I'm a new CEO as well. Um, I was recruited to run Makeshift, which is in the employee scheduling. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But I, I just wanted to to relate to what you said, which is, man, it's hard. Like, this is a stretch for me, uh, running a company and being in a CEO role. And I'm learning so much every day. And, and yeah, trying to get people aligned. And you don't want to say the wrong thing. And, and it's 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 hard. So I can I can appreciate that. Yeah, I really realized how weak I was at it because it hadn't been a part of my development previously in, in my mm. career and how critical it was to my success in the role. So I actually, and some, you know, I you know we've talked a little bit about gender and I know you're such an ally, Adam, of women uh, in business, but I think, um, you know, and, and some people have advised me that they think it's really gendered, but the first thing I did was hire coaches. I've had three or four or five different business coaches along the way um, mm. to help me uh, make this transition. And I couldn't have done it on my own. I needed to develop those, that skill set. That's, that's great. That's good advice. Um, for sure. Changes obviously in running a company is much, much more than that. You're making decisions. Um, and this is part of what's hard, right? Every decision you make impacts people's lives. And so they weigh on, they certainly weigh on me, uh, all the time. I want to make sure that they're that I'm not paralyzed with analysis, um, but but I'm making decisions that are well thought out and but they're deliberate and intentional and impactful, um, all of this. And and you know one of the decisions that that we're in the tech business, um, and and you know so we we our product is technology, but we also rely on technology to run the business. And um, I don't know if that's the case at, at Baskets. I know you deliver gifts, but what tech what what kind of role does technology play in your company and and how is that in what what how is that impacted in change and managing change as well? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I was also hoping that we could chat a little bit about makeshift and the products because we have so many scheduling needs at Baskets and it would be helpful to better understand that. Wonderful. I've done a, a little to. research. But before we jump in, yeah, I just wanted to say that 100% we are a tech company. Uh, and it's been a very interesting evolution for me. Um, you know, we are ultimately in the logistics business, right? I, you know, assembling a, a gift, making sure it looks exactly like the picture on the website, making sure all the products, you know, which have different expiry dates are delivered on time, assembled to look a certain way, and then sent out to hundreds, thousands, different addresses. In many ways, we're just a logistics company, right? I mean, we're more than that, but scheduling is at the core of everything that we do. Uh, you know, we have production staff, retail staff. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, in many ways, we're a tech company. It's, it's been very interesting for me navigating the Toronto sort of venture world because I, I kind of don't fall into, I'm not a founder technically, right? And I'm, I'm also not running a tech company. A lot, of, a lot of these like 
incubators don't don't view e-commerce as tech companies. So uh, in many ways, Adam, yeah, I, I see us as a tech company, but I'm not sure anyone else does. <laughs> right. Yeah, I would have never thought of it that way. But of course, and I don't want to sound cliche, but I, I think, you know, Makeshift calls itself a people first uh, scheduling uh, app. And I think, well, all businesses are people first businesses, or they should be because you need people to run business. And I think the same is true of of tech. I mean, tech is, it's part of life where we, you can't avoid it. Every company needs to be a tech company. So that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Like I'll give you a quick example and maybe Please. it would be a good, um, a shift into talking about the makeshift software. So for example, when, when I first bought the company, one thing that really surprised me about it was the delivery portion, particularly a, a significant part of our business are gifts delivered in the greater Toronto area in Canada. Um, and so, you know, we could do design the best gift, make sure it's assembled perfectly. All, all the components are ordered on time. It's costed right, you know, send it out on time. But it, that delivery, that last mile, if it's not handed to you, Adam, with a smile, if it's, you know, in a smoky car and then thrown on your front step or on your neighbor's step, like every step that I've done is is irrelevant, right? That's your experience as a customer. And so I was very interested in our industry that that most people um, outsource the last mile. Um, and so, mm. you know, part of my evolution to becoming a CEO, I actually did every job in the company myself. I, I ran the warehouse, I did everything. And, and, and actually going on deliveries, I was really surprised. I think it's an underestimated part of our business. Um, so long story short, we built a whole bunch of scheduling, uh, routing, software Ooh. and we have our own fleet it, and sometimes we have 50 drivers on the road delivering wow. thousands of parcels and so um you know the technology behind that is incredible and I'll the sch scheduling that was required i want to hear about bet. makeshift though because i, I could have just used your software tell me about yeah, it well maybe i i'm not sure but I, I love the visual of the smoky car and the package on the front <laughs> <laughs> yeah um you well I don't want to talk about all the features of Makeshift and how we're different, but I want to do, I'll talk a little bit about, uh, since you asked, kind of what I'm proud of and passionate about. Um, and it's it's not really what we do uh, or how we do it, but more why we do it. Um, you know, if you, if you look at shift workers, which makes up a huge uh, percentage of the working population, it's also a huge percentage of the population that, that kind of lives under the poverty line, that earns minimum wage, that... Um, suffers from some, you know, serious health and wellness issues. And, and when I became CEO, I wanted to understand that more, uh, again, not the bits and bytes of the code, although that's important, but kind of why do we exist? And, and what we learned was that the number one, and, and, you know, the Canadian Mental Health Association puts out uh, papers on this, so does Human Resource Development Canada. What, what, what I learned is that the number one, you know, complaint, about, lack of a better word, or concern of a shift worker that causes mental health issues is a lack of control of their schedule. And so, and, and why is that a problem? Well, because again, they're, they're probably taking buses. They don't have two cars in the driveway. Um, they're probably living, uh, a, you know, a family of four, maybe in an apartment or a smaller home with no backyard. And this is the, the, the demographic or they're young and they're trying to go through university and, and they're working two jobs to try to make ends meet and taking the bus. Um, and so, so they, they want more time so that they can do the other things that matter and they need control of their schedule to do that. And so that is why we are in the scheduling business. It's to give people time back to focus on what really matters, um, and, and work matters. Don't, don't get me wrong, but what, what really matters is, you know, different for everybody. But for me, it's my, my family spending time with my daughter, it's recreation, it's the things that I enjoy travel and that sort of thing. And. I'm lucky because I have control of my schedule, but not everybody does. 
Um, and so what we do is we're an employee scheduling app first and foremost, and, and we, we, we developed the app to make it easy for shift workers to control their schedule so they can post their availability. They can switch shifts with, uh, with other colleagues. They can communicate with their manager. They can bid on shifts if they're suddenly available and need the extra income. Um, and it allows managers to control their budget and to communicate with their staff and, and that sort of thing. And, and how we deliver it is it's, it's a mobile app. Um, and, uh, and you just download the app and it's very fast to implement. And so that's, that's a little bit about makeshift at a, at a real, real quick high level. Wow. That's wonderful. I can't wait to explore that further for our business. Cause we have shifts, uh, both in our warehouse and also in our stores and, and customer service sort of sales departments. Um, yeah. And being a CEO of a small business, I've got become so close to my team. I mean, our team is the reason we're so successful. Those awards that you mentioned, that's not me. That's, that's my team. Uh, yeah. They are incredible. Um, yeah, and I've really, I really personalized with a lot of the things you were saying. I, I, I don't think that $15 an hour in Canada is a living wage. Um, yeah. And no I think there's so much more we could do. Yeah, could, can the companies pay for bus passes or data or phones or are there other ways, you know, should there be more of a tax break at that level? Are there more ways to help this, this segment of the population that's working so hard? Um, yeah. It's, it's true. In my, in, in my research, and I shared this with the team, we, we brought the team together uh, for the first time ever uh, in the summer. We all went to Calgary and it was optional in case people were concerned about COVID. I, we had a big open space and we followed all the protocols. It was very concerning to do it, but I felt it was necessary because half the team was brand new. No one's ever, you know, most people have never met before. We're a young company. And, and that's kind of how we opened up was, was sharing that, you know, the average income uh, of a, of a family of four in Canada, uh, is $60,000. $60, and the average rent, uh, is, is, you know, a third is like $2,000. And so we started going through the expenses and it, it's, you just, it, it doesn't add up. Uh, and so that's why, and it was actually the team who came up with the vision and the value of why do we do what we do is them, not me. Um, they said, we, we need to give people control of their schedule so that they can they can have a better life. So yeah, no, it's important. Businesses have a role to play for sure. hundred percent. And, and you know what? So many people are below that average, right? 60, right. 66,000 is, a, you know, that would be nice for some, some yeah. people I know. Yeah, for sure. That exactly. No, it's, those are the ones that are lucky. So it's, uh, it, it's concerning for sure. Um, tell me a little bit more about your staff. Like I'm, I'm curious because you said that uh, they're shift workers. Obviously you also have professionals. Um, there's seasonal, there must be seasonal fluctuations. I mean, one of our, one of our main industries that we service is, is retail. Um, and retail has gone through so much struggle and, and heartache and finding staff right now is really, really difficult. Can you tell me a little bit about, uh, about that? Sure. So yeah, when, when I first bought baskets, I, I would say like, it was not a great place to work. Um, and it's sort of an interesting tip out there for the, the ETA people. You know, I think that's something that we under underestimate as an important criteria to look at in the due diligence process in acquiring a business. Mm. Um, you know, you're quick to look at the financials and the customers and the suppliers, but the culture and the, the actual people and what they're actually doing and how they work together is so important. It's taken me seven years to rebuild it at Baskets. Um, wow. I mean, Baskets was, the, I'll spare you all the details, but, but now I wanted to say that like you identified, there's such a range of different types of uh, team member at baskets and what what gets me is like you see the cfo having coffee with the um driver or you know like it's there is no we are truly a meritocracy and we all enjoy each other and there's no sort of 
you know, we all have an important role to play in building, in, in helping people, bringing people together through gifting. Um, and uh, it's really neat for me to see, you know, from our very professional staff to our shift workers working together and actually being friends. That's great. You know, and I, I'll admit when I, when I was recommended that I speak with you by a mutual friend uh, who is a prior uh, podcast guest, uh, Stephen Shedletsky. Shed, Love Shed. Love shout Shed. out to Shed. He's a great guy and an inspiration to me. Uh, me too. And then he, yeah, yeah so he, he uh, suggested that we speak and I started researching you a bit and I was felt a little intimidated. And I know we talked about that. Uh, I'm just like looking at the credentials going, oh man, right? But yet when we, when we, when we met, I mean, you're just so very easy to talk to. And I'm sure when you're, you know, your team feels the same way, just, uh, you know, a regular person doing the best they can, who's passionate about what she believes in and wants, wants to do the right for people. So that's, that's great. Thanks, Adam. I have to say I was intimidated when I started researching you too. <laughs> really? Yeah, for sure. Yes, that's funny. Eh? We, we all have um, those feelings. Yeah, we do. Just again, I want to respect your time. I've, I've enjoyed the conversation. I just I have one more question and it's sort, sort of some advice. So I, I opened it up with, uh, you know, with three questions that are top of mind for me and they're probably top of mind for any business manager, certainly, or shift worker or seasonal worker or someone who's out of work or whatever, um, which is like, is, is this change that we're going through and you've gone through so much of it at baskets and in your personal life, is it sustainable? What a great question. I think what keeps me up at night is I think we're seeing such fatigue. I think yeah. particularly in Canada, I know that the sort of lockdown situation has been different than in the U.S. I think people yeah. are exhausted coming out of the pandemic. And I do believe we're coming out of it and hopefully entering into an endemic. Um, I think change is inevitable. And I think the people, especially the entrepreneurs who adapt to it and, and roll with it, are most successful. I think what is not sustainable is the rate of change. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's been too fast over the last two years and too herky-jerky. You know, everything's changing all the time. And I think that's very disruptive, even to like our mental health and our senses of well-being. Um, I didn't realize how exhausted I was. And, and I'm worried about burnout on my team and sort of as a CEO, really thinking about how I can better support that. Like, I don't think yeah. the traditional two weeks vacation cuts it right now in this environment. I think people need personal time and shift work and control over their schedule. Huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. So check out Makeshift. <laughs> nice. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Commissions to use coupon code. No, I'm just kidding. But um, but I think what's really, especially as I design the growth of baskets, and and you mentioned the global mail fastest growing companies. I try to double the business every three years. I think any change or growth faster than that is too disruptive. And so to answer your question, I think change is is ubiquitous and it will always be here and a part of our lives. I think the rate of change needs to slow down a little bit. Great, great advice. And as business leaders, we have a role to play in helping manage that change in our organizations uh, to do what's right for our for our people uh, in the communities that we that we live and work with. I couldn't agree more. That's that's wonderful. And then, what's the number one? Just two more questions, and then I promise I'll let you go. But I really want to get your your point of view. What's the number one lesson learned over the past kind of two years, or even even beyond, as as you've been running this company and, and transforming it? You know, it's interesting. I think one a key lesson for me, I mean, there have been so many. I learn something every day, Adam. I, I make mistakes every day. And I'm always telling my team, we all have gifts and gaps, right? There's, I'm terrible with time. I'm late for everything. You know, there's things that my team are so much better at me than. Um, and it's just, I think it's humanizing for people to realize that nobody, nobody's good at everything. 
Um, but one of the biggest lessons actually dovetails perfectly with this conversation is just the rate of the rate of change that people can handle is is on a spectrum. Mm. And so when I came into baskets and the Harvard case study is is about this, I was like, this needs to be fixed and that needs to be changed and this and and that is my it took me a while to realize that not everyone has the same ability to handle change. And so even right now there's there's a system that I'd like to change, but I don't think our team can handle it right now with COVID and everything else. And so I'm gonna wait. Uh, and that as a CEO has been a big uh, lesson for me because I wanted to just come in and change everything right away. But sometimes the people need a bit more of a progress, you know, and then what can happen too, which I've learned with leading people is, you know, you can get a bit of a re revolt when you change things too quickly. They can hold on to things more just because they're uncomfortable to change, not because it's not the right thing to do for the company. So I think uh, just a big lesson for me has been um, to sum it up, it's, you know, we, we both have kids. It's, you know, we're taught in, in grade school, the golden rule, treat other people like you want to be treated. But mm. I actually don't think that's right. I think it's you have to treat other people how they want to be treated. Oh, beautiful. Wow. And I don't think anyone wants to be treated how I want to be treated. <laughs> Nobody else wants to stay up all night and work till midnight and make right. sure they make CEO by 30, 30 years old. You know, like it's, it's the opposite. You know, it's mm. really understanding, Adam, what fills your cup? What are the things you do? You know, we talked a little bit about passion. What are the things that, what do you, what's going to make you skip to work every day? Um, you know, and what, what makes you feel uncomfortable in your job and really understanding that for each of your team members and then trying to craft, you know, no one's perfect. We all have things that we do. We all have, I, we have a, a system at Baskets called the traffic, traffic light system, which I implemented um, when COVID hit because our, our sales team went re entirely remote and I was really uncomfortable leading that way. And so we, we each have pieces of paper. I don't have one here, but like green, yellow, red. And in the morning we all flash what color we are. And it's an indication to the leader to say like green is, green is actually, I'm a little bit bored. Give me more work. Yellow is like, I'm perfect. Red is like, I'm feeling stressed. I did not have a good day. And we just do it as a card in the morning just to kind of indicate to our leaders whether we need help or not. Um, and it's been, wow. So interesting to see the team has has added blue, which is like I have personal issues. I'm hmm. gonna need to lean on you guys. They've added pink, like they they run with this system and made it their own. And I just think um, I think the biggest lesson for me in transitioning to becoming a CEO is to uh, you really like everything begins and starts with your team, and the way you want things done is not necessarily the way that's gonna work for them. And really talking to them and understanding wow. what they want. Wow, that sorry is that was a long really answer. No, no, it's actually the reason I'm saying wow is because I, I wished I'd spoken with you like yesterday. You know, we had a we had a difficult kind of executive meeting today um, and it didn't go well. And obviously, at the end of the day, I'm to blame uh, for that because you know, I'm the leader. So it stops with me. I've obviously set the tone and the agenda and, and give people enough time to prepare and uh, failed somewhere along the way. And it was difficult. And I I, you know, I regret that. And so I, I've been th thinking about it a lot and how could I, uh, what could I do to make it better the next time I might, if it's okay, steal that, uh, steal that from you. Because of course people wake up, I wake up in a certain mood sometimes and I don't want certain things to happen the way they do. So that's really, really great. Yeah. You know, I think the other big lesson you asked for a couple is, um, and I, lo I love that you see it that way. I do too. This kind of service shed. Our, our mutual friend yeah. shed would agree. This sort of service leadership model, right? Like we're not the boss. We are we're no. we're in service to our team, um, yes. and and that's a tremendous privilege and honor, right? The, it to, is. If, and actually, shed once taught me if if you don't care about the people you're leading, you don't deserve to lead them. 
And I thought that was such a simple and sort of from the military, um, very interesting way to think about it. But I guess maybe what I would leave you with, Adam, which is another hard lesson, and I've had a tough seven years uh, making this transition to CEO, is that I think the good leaders uh, see that, right? When there's a fail team failure, they they personalize it, which is great because I think there's a whole like group of leaders that don't, right? They say mm -hmm. it's the team's problem and that's a whole other podcast <laughs> discussion. Indeed. I think the great the great leaders personalize it and see it. Okay, I failed somewhere because my team didn't execute. But I think what I've learned too is there's a point where it's not you. There is a point where you've done everything you can do and something's just not connecting. And I think as CEOs, especially in this environment we're in right now, you've got to give yourself a little grace. Mm. Um, that, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. It's important as a leader to accept that the buck stops with you and that you maybe could have done something better. But in some of these weird situations, it just, yeah, it, it just, it's luck, it's chemistry, it's fate, karma, whatever it is. It's just don't give yourself a little grace because I'm sure yeah. you're an excellent CEO. <laughs> Thank you. That's very, very kind. I appreciate that. No, it'll be okay. We'll, we'll get through it. But it was, you know, listening to, to you know, to some of the, the strategy you've, you've deployed with your team. Uh, as a leader is something I want to, I want to kind of take on and, and be better at. I think that's really the point of this, of this, uh, of this podcast is to learn from each other, to share with each other, to grow together uh, and to try to solve some of the problems that we're facing as, as a group. Um, so I, I really appreciate uh, you, you sharing some of your time and advice uh, with us, Robin. It was a, it was a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I've learned so much from you and the team as well. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, have a great day and you'll probably hear from our sales team about your scheduling needs. I'd love that. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, Robin. Take care. Thanks, guys. Have a great okay, day. Bye-bye. And that brings us to the end of our podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and will join me next month as we continue to make the shift together. If you haven't yet subscribed to our podcast, you can visit podcast.makeshift.ca and do so right now. You can also look for at Makeshift app and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you'd like to join me on my show or share your feedback with me, feel free to drop me a line at agreenberg at makeshift.ca. All of our links are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Adam Greenberg. See you next time on Make the Shift.